the fear is there. It's like a line between success and disaster is very, very fine. And that's, of course, uh, where, that's where greatness comes. You're listening to The Occupational Philosophers with Simon Banks and John Rice. And welcome to another episode of The Occupational Philosophers, the not-so-serious business podcast to spark creativity, curiosity and imagination. And hello, John. Good morning to you. How hello, are Simon. you? What's caught your curious eye this week, which is what we always like to start with? Well, it's short and sharp this week, Simon. As you know, I live on the south coast of the UK, near Brighton, and over the last few weeks has been the Brighton Fringe, which is the largest performing arts festival in England, not the UK, because obviously there's one up in Edinburgh that's slightly bigger. But nonetheless, it's been great exploring the Brighton Fringe, which this year, and it caught my eye, is because the hashtag and the theme is Stay Curious. Ooh. So there we go. So immediately I was taking pictures of the posters and saying, ah. And I just read uh, some of the opening notes of Julian Caddy, who's the CEO, and he says, this year we're inviting you to stay curious, to keep an open mind, to seek out the new, to go out of your comfort zone. And there is a melting pot of 3,823 performers in over 100 venues. So the city gets completely overtaken by this festival. And it's brilliant. I've been going for many years. I do stay curious. I do go and seek out new things that take me outside of my comfort zone. And this time, <laughs> I just look at the guide, whatever time it is. And then I say, well, that's on. I'm going to go and see that. So I don't think about it. And I turn up and I see. Sometimes I see something brilliant. Often I'll see something bloody awful. <laughs> and sometimes you see a slight bit of genius. And of course, that's always the joy where you see something and go, ah, that's amazing. So we had the A to Z of fish and chips, under milk wood, semi skimmed, which I thought was quite good, <laughs> and cosmic brain fart. All right. So that's what I was curious about staying curious. That's mine. How about you, well, Simon? Firstly, I'm thinking surely we can rustle together a show next year, John, for the. Brighton Fringe, come on, like stay curious. That that's that could be one of our next New Year's resolutions. Well, look, I've got curious about something. Last time I spoke around the murdering monkeys, which is very shallow, but in Australia we've had a, a tectonic shift in the last, a metaphorical tectonic shift, and we have a new government that formed two days ago. And I know we don't like to speak about politics, but it's transformed the landscape of Australian politics. And we've, it's been such a big shift and I'm still trying to get my head around it, what it means, and it's a very positive one for where I stand. But, yeah, it's just or the ability to transform and expect the unexpected, I guess. Like it's everyone sort of thought, oh, it might be a little bit different, but it's completely shifted the way that, I guess, Australians view politics, what they expect from government and what they think about the planet in a positive way. So I've been thinking about this three horizons strategy mapping which is another pick and piece because i'm doing some work on that at the moment and i'm trying to overline it with the three horizons when in horizon one you hang on to the what's going on business as usual even though you know it's dying out and then horizon three is the stuff which you know will take you into the future even though you might not see it and horizon two is the innovative disruptive stuff that will bridge these horizons so anyway john my, my head's full 
did you miss the memo about this being a not so serious business podcast? What, what? You've just gone off in a parallel universe. Very interesting, though. I suspect there'll be more to explore well, there. But uh, yeah, I wow. think uh, you know. After last week, the dog, the, you woke the monkeys up. murdering dogs. I thought that I thought we, I went a little bit more high rare. But look, John. That had caught my eye, so I have to share it. So we've got a guest this week. What a fabulous time to be together because we have a guest. So, John, who is the curious cat we're speaking to this week? Well, Simon, I'm really delighted to introduce today Tim Vaughan Hughes. Tim has had quite a journey, as it were, a creative journey, which uh, we're going to explore. But he began his career in, in the stage management team at Glyndebourne Opera. He trained as an actor at the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School. He then later joined the Monty Python production team for their feature films, which included Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Monty Python's Life of Brian, a particular favourite of mine, and Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. And more recently, though, he's now then acting as a mentor. He works with senior management, business executives, and he'll work with them in terms of them being able to create more impact build confidence and presentation skills, and quite a sort of roster of clients, which include, among many others, Sony, PwC, Lloyds Bank, the NHS, AstraZeneca, ASDA. So it's a real wide breadth of uh, clients that he works with. He also does open classes and is regularly presenting a popular masterclass, which helps people face their fears in speaking up so that they can create impact in both their personal lives and their business their work lives as well so tim welcome to the occupational philosophers well how very kind thank you very much indeed <laughs> you've said it all uh, i might go now <laughs> <laughs> john, <laughs> john does love a long introduction so uh <laughs> yeah, and tim may be building on my own and simon's curious thought of the week or thing we've been reflecting on or noticed what's caught your eye this week well <laughs> quite simply john it's half past nine in the morning on a monday morning so it's been milk coffee <laughs> and <laughs> but i thought what i the last for me and i think for so many many people the last couple of years have been really really difficult and certainly the pandemic there was very, very little humour to be found, but I did find something which I thought I'd share with you because it made me laugh, and I thought, oh, thank God there's something that's come out of this. And it was kind of, it was between the pandemics when we were allowed to go into pubs in this country, but we had to make sure that we were, you know, two metres away and everything else. And I was planning a visit up to London, and on Google I found this, which I will share with you because it did make me laugh. There's a pub in the East End of London, which you probably know, called The Blind Beggar. Yes. And it's very famous because it's um, notorious because it's where Ronnie Cray shot and murdered an associate of a rival gang. And he, this happened in the pub. And it's become very famous. Anyway, when I was looking at Google, and as I said, it was during the time when we all had to be very careful, I found this, which was a thing for The Blind Beggar, and it says it's a Victorian East End pub, infamous as site where 1960s gangster Ronnie Cray shot and killed a rival. And then it tells you the service options, which are dine-in, no takeaway, no delivery hours. And then bearing in mind that this is where Ronnie Cray shot and killed a rival, 
it says underneath health and safety mask required <laughs> staff required to disinfect surfaces between visits <laughs> and that yeah. did make me laugh so i'm happy to share that with you <laughs> and bring a gun <laughs> yes, exactly please, please dip your uh, gun in domestos before you bring it in to uh drive <laughs> yes. a gang to yeah. stay yeah. two meters apart please and wear a mask yes. are you already wearing a mask <laughs> Uh, there we go what a great story so look lots of people join us from around the world for our podcast and john's in the uk i'm over here in australia whereabouts in the world are you right at this moment i'm in east sussex which is on the way to london and it's in the country and it's a delightful place to be Okay, now look, I'm, today I'm, when it's pouring with rain. I'm sort of on the way to London if you measure it that way. But if we're leaving London on a map of England, what direction would we go? Southeast. Okay, southeast. All right. So down towards the, uh, not, well, down near you, John, to some extent. Have I got that right? Or? It is. We're close enough. We might have to plan a beer at some point. Yeah, close <laughs> okay. enough. Okay. We'll find a pub. Or we can meet at the Blind Beggar. Okay. Oh, that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we'll take our sawn off shotguns. <laughs> Wipe, wipe down. <laughs> and we're going to get into a bit more of what you do, Tim, but very briefly. I know I did a, an outline at the beginning, but how would you describe what you do? What's your current sort of area that you play in? Well, you're quite right in the, in the sort of people that I work with. But I think if you had to ask me what I did, it would be that I help people find a platform from which they can perform. I like to work specifically, not specifically, but if I can, I really, really do like to help the people who find it very, very frightening. Mm. Um, I work yes. with the, the sort of three types of people, really. I work with people who come along and say, well, I'm here to hone my skills and they will never get, ever get any better. I work with people who say, I've been seconded. <laughs> and you think, oh, God, that's going to be hard work. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I get people who just say, look, I'm terrified. I'm pants. I can't do this. But if I don't do it, I won't get on in my life. I won't improve. And they're the people that I really, really do like working with. Because so often, there's nothing wrong with their ability to stand up and speak but something has gone wrong either at work or even at mm. home or that's knocked them off the horse. And I don't mm. claim to have any great skills except that what I do understand is fear. You know, we've all had yeah. it, but it's very important to work with those people because it's holding them back. And if I can help them to perform, that's so much the better. So, Tim, that's predominantly, though, in their professional working lives, or do you get people who are, want to have overcome those fears for things in their personal life to, in terms of speaking up or speaking out? Well, it's, they will always say it's for their professional life, but often I find, and I, I find that I get this over a cup of coffee rather than anything else, that it could be something in their, their personal life. Mm. But, you know, people yeah. don't want to admit the fact and it, it takes time for them actually to open up. A 
Now we're going to kick off what John and I often called a, a quick fire round, but given we've had uh, a request to slow down a bit because it's a bit early on a Monday morning, we're going to call it our moderately paced round with tepid interludes of speed. So, <laughs> which feels a little bit better. Now we're interested in what someone's journey's been, some of the things that might have happened on the way to where they are today. So, first question: What are some of the big experiences that have formed you? as it helped you be where you might be. And there might be early life, school, academia, anything that sort of stands out? Um, well, I've been very lucky in the people that I've worked with, and they've all kind of informed what I've done. And I've been very lucky in the people that I've worked with who have all been extremely kind. And I'm very happy to say that there hasn't been a single person that I've come across in that field that I thought, oh, God, I wish I hadn't met you. So I'm very lucky. But I suppose the first one was when I was still at school, and I was at school in the Midlands, and we had a, a careers master. And at the time, you stood in a queue behind everybody else going in to see the careers master. And people would go in, and he'd say, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I think I'm going to become an accountant. Very good. Here are your forms. Go to university. And good luck. And everybody's doing this. I walked in and the careers master said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I want to be an actor. And he said to me, well, good luck. And I thought, where, <laughs> the hell am I, where are my forms? What do I, you know, what do I do about this? So I thought, well, the only thing to do is to get in touch with somebody who knows about it. And it so happened in those days, and this was something to think about, that the big lions were were on stage, and they were Laurence Olivier, John Gielgud, Ralph Richardson, and Alec Guinness. So I wrote to them, and I just wrote oh, and said, right. you know, what do I do? And they all wrote back, you know, telling me, well, you should go to drama school and everything else. But Alec Guinness wrote a six-side handwritten letter to me, and he outlined all the things that I should be careful of, all of the things that I should think about, and it was the most extraordinary letter. And right. at the end of it, he said, I'm doing this play in London. If you'd like to talk further, if you'd like to come along, I'd be very happy to meet you. And I couldn't actually believe this. So I thought, good God. And so I duly went along to the Theatre Royal Haymarket one February evening. And he wanted to see me before the show, which again, I thought was strange. So I turned up at the stage door and I said, I've come to see Sir Alec Guinness. Oh, he's expecting you. And I was shown up to his dressing room and there he was in his dressing gown. And he said, oh, do come in. <laughs> and he said, do you mind if I, I carry on making up? And I thought, how extraordinary. So I said, no, 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 no. I was terribly, terribly nervous. And actually what extraordinary, he was as shy as I was. And I thought, this is extraordinary. Anyway, he said, horrible weather. So I said, yes, it did. horrible weather. Have you come far? And I said, you know. And then I thought to myself, he's patronising me slightly because obviously he thinks that I've just come to see a great actor. And then he swung round and he said, what part do you want to play in 10 years' time? And he interviewed me for about 20, 25 minutes. And I was wow. 17. And I thought it was such an extraordinarily kind thing to do. So that was one of the great influences <laughs> because what he did was to take time out to help somebody who was asking for help. 
And I suppose I've always tried, if I possibly can, to help those who ask for help. Always ask for help is, is really the point of this. But, but he was, it was an extraordinary occasion. Well, that's an extraordinary story. Like, I'm sitting here fascinated just trying to, <laughs> just like, like what happened. Yeah. Well, you asked for, you, you asked for an no. influence and there was, the, it, mean, it, was, it, was it was quite, well, quite extraordinary. I mean, I'm just thinking he met Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, yeah, but, <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but, but Alex would have been very happy to have heard that because he had done <laughs> no. that before then. I uh, know, no, and that was the thing that was always. But I tell oh, you something else. Must have driven I, him nuts. I tell yeah. you something else about that evening because it, again, it was where realities confuse. He had a very bad cold, and so there was a large smell of eucalyptus all over his dressing room. So when, anyway, I came out and I went to, because I watched the play, because I thought it was actually a polite thing to do. So I went and I sat in the stalls, couldn't quite believe what had taken place. And the curtain went up and there he was. But what wafted across the stage into the <laughs> auditorium was the smell of eucalyptus. And it was where two realities kind of confused, you know. Again, there's endless avenues of questions here too, but <laughs> and did he continue that sort of mentoring relationship was he there did you find moments where you cross paths again and and i met him again thank him i did yeah. i met him again mm. the following year i was actually by that time working in the theater at glyndebourne which as as you all know john is at glyndebourne it's quite near brighton mm. he was doing a play in brighton and i thought I'll, I don't know why. I'll go and see him and just tell him that I'm in, in the theatre. So anyway, I queued up and I was behind a lot of very sort of significant people who'd come to see him because he was about to go to London. And as I got there, he just turned around. And he said, oh, hello, Tim, your hair's much longer. And I thought, well, there you go, a year later. <laughs> and I, very, very foolishly, I never, I should have kept up and I didn't. And I, it, I, I know because you, you don't, do you? You can't keep on saying hello, Alec. It's me. You know. So I didn't. But I, I regret it. He was an extraordinarily kind man. Tim, I'm conscious of us being in the <laughs> moderately paced round. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> what, I, what I wanted to do because the other, the, well, no, no, absolutely. Uh, but the bit, the other question I had was coming back to you went to the careers master and said, I want to be an actor. And so one of the other things I was going to ask is three words that described you at school at that time. Not much cop. <laughs> and was there a, what was the seed of wanting to be an actor? I suppose is, is I don't think in, well, in there. I don't was think there it was, I, I don't remember a time when I didn't want to be part of a theater. I didn't know it was called acting until a little bit later on, not much later on. And I suddenly found myself at the, sort of the age of nine, ten, knowing that this was something I could do. Mm. I didn't enjoy my school later on, which I'm saying not much cop, because I was expected to play cricket, play rugby, you know, all of those things. I've never really had any enjoyment out of ball games, but I did like being on the stage. So every possible moment I could have, I would do that. But the school at that point, I think everything has changed now, but at that point, you know, playing rugby, oh, that's good. Well done. Good for you. But doing a play is, really? <laughs> you really want to dress? Really? Oh, all right, if you must. 
Uh, it wasn't really the damn thing. But things have changed. But sadly, not um, not for me at that point. I'll just share one last thought around that career master thing. So we didn't have a career master when I was at school. They Computers had taken over by this stage, and you fed in your answers to these questions. The computer would tell you what job you were suited <laughs> for. And I, <laughs> I put in all of my responses, and the answer, much to my dad, who was a cockney, which is part of the story here, uh, was pleased to see that it came out as merchant uh-huh. banker. <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, it was right. I am a merchant <laughs> banker. <laughs> well, funnily enough, considering I studied fine arts and have been in that career most of my life in that creative space, I did banking for work experience. So I went and worked in a bank. <laughs> and my little letter at the end said, you'd be highly suited to the banking industry. So... Maybe there's something there. there you go. So. We are. Now, um, I guess a, a little bit of a segue around sort of inspiration and things that inspire us, not inspired by our, our banking. But like, is there any people who've inspired you along the way? So that's question one. And who inspires you now? Question number two. Who inspires me now? Well, I have to say, and it's probably not very original, but I think it's Billy Connolly. And there is a man who has given so much pleasure to so many people worldwide who now has Parkinson's, and as he says, you wish he hadn't given it to him, and who is still making us laugh. And I I just think he is somebody who is an inspiration, really. Mm. So so it would be Billy Cobb. Okay, is there anyone outside Alec Guinness who sort of inspired you along the way and you thought, yeah, there's something there that I I like or... Yeah, a big influence. Um, There's sort of an amalgam of people, really. I've always been, I sort of fell into opera, really, but I've, I think opera singers are the most extraordinarily wonderful breed, and they have inspired me because I remember asking one an opera singer who was very experienced, and I said, you know, you're very nervous. And he said, but of course I'm nervous. We're always nervous. And he said, do you realise that when an opera singer first opens their mouth to sing, he or she never actually knows for sure <laughs> that a sound is going to come out. Wow. And that's such a terrifying thought. Mm. And yet they went on to do it. And that, again, I found inspirational because it was, you know, performing out of it, the fear is there. It's like a line between success and disaster is very, very fine. And that's, of course, uh, uh, where, that's where greatness comes which, again, we're going to explore some more, I think, because I think there's a real interesting angle Just a, a note about that fear. I'm not sure who was uh, – I was listening to someone on a podcast and they said they were going to give a speech at or, or give a talk at a really high-profile event. He said he was really nervous about this whole thing, as you often would. And they said, oh, look, why don't you go and hang out in the green room? And it was like people like, say, Barack Obama or this level of, you know, this level of people. And he said, I went in there. He said the tension and nerves in there, he said, was ridiculous. So they're all pacing around like, oh, they're all more nervous than he was. Oh, wow. and they're all trying to learn the lines. Yeah, get their paper. And all of a sudden he said, I can't be in here because they're actually making it worse. Yeah. But I guess that sense is yeah. we're all nervous and you're very fact from the, the opera singers aren't sure what note will come out or if a note will come out, a relief and terror all in one, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah. 
And of course, for an audience, it's the most exciting yeah, moment in the world yeah, when you absolutely. hear the, the, the notes and 60 piece orchestra coming. It's, it's just, there's nothing like it. Now we spoke earlier around, oh, just very briefly about the work you do as a with you know individuals, executives, and people in organisations around developing their confidence and their impact as speakers, and also that piece around you know finding their voice. I think, but how does your work as an actor come into this, and your life in stage management and film production? How does that play into this? the work that you do now and i'm really fascinated in these sort of intersections that start to play in well it's really again this idea of giving somebody or a group of people a platform from which they can perform and if you are on stage management or if you are in production it's your responsibility to make sure that the artist or performer can work to their best ability because you are there as a team to support that person or that team. As a performer, I understand, well, as I said, I've un- the only thing I do understand is fear and how we conquer fear, come to terms with it, is something that I try to provide for the people I work with. Can I, I mean, I'll give you a small example, if I may. I was working privately with a client, and she hated, absolutely hated, standing up and speaking. And she had to do it. She knew she had to do it, and it was holding her back. And so I was working with her over a few, I suppose about four or five weeks, on her presentation skills, and she was just getting no better at all. So at one point, I just stopped, and I said, look, this is painful for both of us. Let's have a cup of tea. And I said to her, you know, you hate all this. I know you do, but what do you do when you're not working? And so she said, well, well that's easy. I work in a go- I sing in a gospel choir. Hmm. So I said, I was slightly taken aback, and I said, well, that's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, you, you're all there in a choir. And she said, no, 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 I'm not, not in the choir. I'm the solo singer. I'm at the front. So I said to her, well, I'm slightly confused, but why is it that you can stand up in front of a gospel choir, but you can't stand up and give a presentation? And she said, oh, well, that's very simple, because when I'm in the gospel choir, I become somebody else. I become Gloria. And it's Gloria mm. who sings in front of everybody else. So I said to her, well, why don't you ask Gloria if she'd come in and do your presentations for you? (laughs) And she was so taken aback, and she said, you know, that's a really good idea. I think that's what actors do, really, is that they become somebody else, because underneath, I think it was Anthony Hopkins who said that actors are semi-wrap sandwiches, (laughs) we're all squidgy underneath which is why we become somebody else so it worked for her whether it works for other people uh, you know it whatever you have to do but that's a way of doing it that was really succinct way of capturing that that in stage management and as part of a production team you're there to help the creative professionals do their best work Uh, so early on did you see that fear early on in some of the creative professionals that you work with, that you would see sometimes it was that that was getting in the way of them doing their best work in those Um, early days? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose like at Barois, I've seen people who are literally standing on the side of stage saying, you know, kick me on. Um, <laughs> I've seen people actually being physically sick. I mean, I'm not going to go too much on that. But I mean, that kind of fear is what drives people on. I believe Judy Dent says that if she's not frightened, she can't do it. And she will say, you know, see you on the ice as she goes on. So do you think that is it around harnessing that fear into a greater energy or is it ignoring the fear or what, how do we, where does that sit? That Considering we've all got it, do some people channel it better than others or do they reimagine what the fear is or what's that piece there, do you think? Well, again, I don't think, if I knew what the answer was, I would be sitting by a pool in the south of France and I would have bottled it. And said, <laughs> I don't know, Simon, what the answer is, and I wish I did. I can only tell you that it's by listening to people, listening, talking to people, that I will discover what it is that they might want to share that is stopping them from doing it. And it's really, I don't think one should perform out of fear. You know, because that's not healthy. Yeah. If one can channel that fear into nerves, I think that is useful. And I've always said to people, you've got to be nervous because if you're not nervous, you're either drunk or you died yesterday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nerves, we pump adrenaline which is what we all need but fear is is not healthy that's not good if it's stopping you from leading your life if it's stopping you from career promotion that's got to be helped is it the idea that you said with the gloria example a minute ago tim do you find a lot of people get through it by almost putting on an alter ego which we've talked about in episodes before that this idea that we suddenly bring someone else to do the speaking we perform it, uh, is it, that part of the trick sometimes but it, for it some can people be, it maybe. can be i don't i'm not saying that there aren't i'm not saying that i'm not wild about the term tricks i'm not wild about the term technique you know when people say oh technique you think well what the what does that mean if you see the technique, then it's not working at all because you don't want you know, on a performer. You know, we were talking about this earlier. You don't mm. want to see the the grinding of the gears behind the performer. <laughs> mm. All you really have, all any of us ever have, is just to say, "I can," because I think I can. That's all we have. There is no more, and that's what I try and get through to people. If we can just get through it, if we can perhaps laugh if we realize that it's not the end of the world then slowly slowly we can do it i wish i knew that there was a quick answer but there really isn't and is there is there anything else from your world of like film production or you know creating or stage production where you're creating this thing and bringing together moving parts is there anything else that's influenced the work you do with clients in this space how they might think around presenting or Practice. Yeah. There is no substitute for practice. The more you practice, the more successful you might be. If you do not practice, it's not going to work for you. And I say to people, you've got to find the time to practice. And you get to the point when you've gone through it and you've practiced it over and over again. And you think to yourself, if I ever have to say this again, I'm going to slip my throat. And that's the point, you practice it one more time. 
When you've worked in these areas of film and stage, I often sort of think sometimes this creativity piece, like we said, it's sort of hard to measure or graph or something, but there's almost like a creative energy where everyone sort of builds off each other and you can almost sort of feel it in the air. Was it ever like that on any of the things that you did or is that just in my own woo-woo mind? No, there have been moments. Uh, I've been very lucky. There have been moments when you realise why you're alive and why you're sitting there watching somebody or standing with an orchestra. I've, I've, I have seen that and it is the most extraordinary. It just makes complete sense and you know at that point why you're there because you've just seen something which is miraculous. And I'm probably going against my own question because I'm always saying it doesn't make sense. But if you look back on that, were there some things in play that sort of led to that that moment or that space in time? No, it's a magic. It is a magic. Mm. And I think that's probably one of the things that keeps me going is that one is trying to find, and it happens, it does happen, yeah. but very rarely, but when it does happen, my God, it's wonderful. And I've seen, that- I've seen it on stage, I've seen it in the cinema, but I've also seen it from people standing there giving a presentation. Yeah. And when mm. that happens, and you know in the room, and if you're working with a group of people, there's a kind of thick silence when they're going, something is happening here that is over and beyond. And it's an alchemy, you know, and if we knew what it was, hey, wouldn't it be great? <laughs> you, but I've seen it. You'd be back, you'd be in southern France, but you'd have two pools in the background. Yeah. Rather than just yeah. one. So, yeah. <laughs> have you seen it? <laughs> yeah, have I have. Seen? Yeah. And I think I've been part of it at times. Like when you sort of you realize you're part of something bigger and all those elements are combined and you're making something together or you're creating, and all of a sudden you realize yeah. there's an energy and a, a vibe. And that's why I, I guess want to talk a lot about, you know, creativity. It's not just creative thinking there's this piece that we can't explain and you have to be if you're open to that yeah you can't overanalyze everything but i'm also some people look at the other way and they go well hang on if you look at that trend over time and you compare 25 magic moments here's the key thing so i'm always just curious around it but i i've been in that space i guess with people and you know occasionally when it's maybe you're in the flow yourself you just sort of find yourself something's you know, something's yeah. happening here as well. So, um, yeah. Well, it's, it's like a, a speedboat that is just, and it planes. Yeah. And it just goes off the waves, and you just think, I don't know how we're, but we're there. But, mm. I mean, I've also gone the other way, and I've been, you know, on a performance on a Monday night where it's like wading through custard. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you really have to work. And is that because of the team not functioning as well in those moments, or is it the audience starts to play in? Or oh, is well, it I think everybody. Any number of different factors. Any number of different reasons. You need mm-hmm. to think, oh yeah. my God, what we're all, and we all know, you know, we've really got to work <laughs> hard tonight. And you know, that's when you earn your money. <laughs> <laughs> just one last question. Just, uh, I know that Simon's got something then. We want to talk to that fear thing in a moment a bit more. But I mentioned earlier, Tim. As a member of the production team, what sort of creative input did you have? You described, actually, production as sitting between the creatives and the money. (laughs) I thought that was really interesting. Again, you're up and close personal to that creativity. But you've got a part to play in it as well. And I just wondered if you had something to that, around that to talk to. Well, it is a case of 
I think it really is that of providing the platform and making sure that, you know, at the most basic level that the stage is swept. Also to making sure that you start on time because you've got clients out there, an audience out there who have only got so much patience. And when it comes to film production, of course, you're into a different ball game altogether because it's very, very expensive. So you need to make sure that the money people don't come flying in and saying, right, that's it when creative people are saying, no, 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 we need more time. And it's a very mm. fine balance that you have to strike. And it's perhaps easier if you've been on the creative side yourself to understand that the there are very few, perhaps there are more now, but there have been, I think, very few what I would call creative producers. And they have all been re really very remarkable. So, I mean, producer comes in all sorts of different shapes and sizes, but the, the good ones are the ones that allow the creative people to get on with it, mm. but at the same time aware that they have to come in, you know, on budget. I like that thing, allow the creative people to get on with it. So I like that metaphor of allow the people who are good at what they do to get on with, you know, continuing yeah. to be good at what they do. Now, I've got a yeah. question. I've got the real interest in this piece around fear, and John and I often, and I've written a book, and uh, called A Thousand Little Light Bulbs, How to Kickstart a Culture of Innovation in Your Organization. And in your book, as a lot of books you have, here's my framework for delivering this. Number one thing in my framework is dealing with our creative ogre, which is that inner voice that can crush curiosity and your creativity. And in my world of art, where I've done a lot of stuff where I've taught people to draw and paint and all sorts of different things. And the number one thing that holds them back is that fear that it's going to look a bit shit. So we'd rather, you know, the blank canvas defends itself with vigor. So I'm just around that, but I also around once you start to do stuff, you build that confidence as well. When you build the confidence, then, you know, that, that fear starts to disappear. So just with around, you know, any attempt at creative pursuits, I know you speak to this with through a speaking lens as well. Is it is it confidence first or is it is there any more things you can tell us around sort of banishing that inner voice? Working with people, it's only, well, it's very difficult. Again, there's no one particular way except to say I can because I think I can. I also reassure people because I tell them, and I, I'm not going to mention any names because it's invidious, but I do know a lot of prominent actors have suffered from stage fright. Stage fright is something that kicks in not really at the beginning of their careers, but certainly later on. And you know, a lot of them have, and it's quite reassuring to tell people that these people that they might have admired suffer from stage fright. And one of the mm -hmm. things I do try and tell people is that we are so conscious of watching television all the time and seeing people who are so polished, so professional, who make it look as so easy. And I remind them that they have a battery of people behind them that they have people talking into their ears and they're supported by a whole load of people and they shouldn't necessarily compare themselves to them because they don't have that support. And again, very often mm. they say, well, I, the reason I want, I'm having such a horrible time is because I'm working with somebody, say Brian, for instance, who is so good at public speaking. And then I said, but how do you know that Brian hasn't had help? Oh, it never occurred to me. 
Yeah? Mm. So it's really trying to put people into context of reminding them we're all frightened. And I think you've got a really lovely point here because I, I find in the world of creativity, it's a very, or speaking or these very human pursuits, it's a very emotional piece as well. But the emotion comes from we compare ourselves to the very best person in the industry. Like you've said, like we, I could never paint like that. I could never draw like that. I could never sing like that. But look, everyone started at a place, yeah. almost a living playing field. And this is what you've said before. If uh, someone doesn't have to say practice again, I'll slit my throat. The practice is what develops your craft and your creativity. But we start from the spot where we've done little to no practice, but we look at those who've done loads and we compare ourselves. Does that sort of play out a little bit, that notion? Yes, I think it does. I think it does. And I think what also plays out is that people suddenly hear their own voice and thinking, do you know what? I'm really not quite so bad. You know, it's really quite good. Can I tell you a quick story? Please do. No, no. (laughs) <laughs> I was doing a 12-week course, an open course, and it was two hours every Monday or whatever. And I start on the first day of asking people what they want to get out of it. And people don't actually tell you the truth, really, but they say, well, you know, I, I need to do this with the work and whatever. And there was one student, we'll call her Mary, and she was very nice, and she had a small child. She had a, a business which was you – know, I can't remember what it was. We're very small business, but she said, I'm not getting on very well because I'm too shy. I can't do it. So I said, well, you know, welcome. I always say to people, you know, 90% of what you want to do has been achieved by signing on the dotted line. Yeah. So anyway, worked for 12 weeks and she, you know, like everybody else, she suddenly found her confidence and she got better. And on the last day I did what I, I always do, which is say to people, well, if there's one thing you've learned that you would take away with you, what is it? And they will say, well, you know, it's breathing, it's, uh, yeah, whatever. And she stood there and she said, well, what I've learned out of this is that I have just come out of a horrible marriage and my husband is not the person I thought he was and I lost track of who I am. And I've discovered from doing this and hearing myself that, yes, I am the person I thought I was. And I've learned that from just speaking. And there was obviously a complete silence in the class. And half of them, I think, were just thinking, this is wonderful. I think the other half were thinking, can I now ask her out? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The moment when I thought, yes, this is what it's about. And, you know, I could hang my hat up at that point and walk away and go, yep job done you know i also say you know there was another point which is, is when i was really really excited and that was at these one of these these courses at the end they always have an appraisal you know what have i learned what you would be and i was thrilled to pieces when i i read this which was i would like to thank tim who has taught me everything there is to know about pubic speaking I just thought, well, it wasn't actually on the curriculum, but if that's what you've learned, (laughs) whoopee. (laughs) So, Tim, what we have now is a thought experiment. Every episode, we like to stretch our minds a little, something which philosophers would do through the ages and have been doing as they wrestle with the answers to some of the big questions of life. 
So this week we thought with your interest in helping people make great speeches and speaking up, we would share with you and see if you can identify the speaker of some of these speeches, these quotes and profound sentiments. So uh, I'm going to read one out uh, that I'll give you the option of who it might be and you just have to tell us who you think it is. So here's the first one for you. I know I have the body of a weak, feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king, and of a king of England too, and think foul scorn that Palmer or Spain or any prince of Europe should dare to invade the borders of my realm. Now, the question, Tim, is, is that Queen Elizabeth I or Beyonce? <laughs> And I thought it was Churchill, but it's Elizabeth the <laughs> First. That is correct. There we go. Very First well point. done. Oh, Very well done. It's a rollicking start. All right. You, you, you've started off better than most people on our thought experiment. So our second one is, our only chance of long-term survival is not to remain inward-looking on planet Earth, but to spread out into space. The answers to these big questions show that we've made remarkable progress in the last hundred years. But if we want to continue beyond the next hundred years, our future is in space. Is that Stephen Hawking or Jeff Bezos? <laughs> oh, well, I would like to think it was Stephen Hawking. That's two out of two. You are right. Yes. Well done. Well done. Okay. Well, okay. Thank you. Right. Here we go, Tim. It's a shorter one here. I actually don't like thinking. I think people think I like to think a lot, and I don't. I do not like to think at all. What was that? Kanye West or Albert Einstein? Einstein. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim. That was Kanye West. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Have you got a cat in the background, do you? Because I can hear. Yeah, I'm sorry. Is that distracting? It is actually. Well, maybe, it maybe, is my editor. Maybe it was trying to tell you the answer. He's in the background. Uh, uh, it's Kanye West. Do you, want, do, you it, do you want me to send it packing? Uh, no, we can. We can. We can. We'll, we'll. We'll. We'll work through this. We'll work through this. Keep the cat. Uh, well, only, now, only send it packing if it is helping you cheat at this quiz. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Thought <laughs> experiment. <laughs> right, and next one. And the uh, the reason I said keep the cat in here. Now, I never really wanted to go to Japan simply because I don't like eating fish, and I know that's very popular out there in Africa. Is that Britney Spears or the MP Dominic Raab? Yeah. <laughs> Britney Spears. Britney. <laughs> That is right, and it's Britney Spears, but I like the fact you had to think about it for a long time. I know, that, that's really worrying, isn't it? I mean, that what, that's the state that we've got to in this country. Yeah. All right, we've got two yeah, more. Is, we've got two that more. terrifying. Two, two more. Uh, more frightening than having a cop outside the door. Uh, right, number five. I believe in an America where millions of Americans believe in an America. That's the America millions of Americans believe in. That's the America I love. Was, was that Mitt Romney or Madonna? That's Mitt. It is. It Correct. is Mitt You're very good at this. Wow. I think this is <laughs> you're probably the best we've ever had, actually. So now, our last one, and that's not a word of a lie. The only happy artist is a dead artist because 
Only then you can't change. After I die, I'll probably come back as a paintbrush. Is this Picasso or Sylvester Stallone? Picasso. Well, you started off strong but finished on a bit of a bum note. That is, in fact, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> okay. And, and there. Well, good on you. Good on your sly. Yeah. <laughs> he's always he's, he features very prominently on this show, which is about philosophy and philosophers, as you might imagine. <laughs> and there we are, the end of a, a lovely thought experiment. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> All right, as a not-so-serious business podcast, we like to delve into how can we start to apply some of the great insight you've been sharing with us through the lens of an individual sitting or walking or jogging, listening to our show for teams and also for leaders within organisations. So as an individual, I'm sitting here, I'm listening. What's some simple practices that we could do to help build our confidence muscle Well, I always say the same thing to people who want to know how to kick off, and that is to get help. There isn't a single actor, actress, singer, performer who doesn't have somebody to help them. And it doesn't matter whether you are sort of the third servant on the left or you're Helen Mirren. They have directors. They have people who can say, yes, I can hear you from the back. Get help. You're not on a suicide mission. Um, and of, of course it's frightening, but it's less frightening if you're being frightened with somebody else. Mm. So get help. What about with teams? Again, you said some interesting stuff about just how that creativity that you would see on stage and in, in the film productions was the work of a team there working yeah. together in support of each other and not just some individuals on some creative pursuits delivering great work it it happened because of a team so thinking about teams which every organization fundamentally is a team of teams what can teams do in organizations that might be able to draw upon some of that those things you mentioned earlier well it is support you mentioned the word support and i think that's the most important word and again at the risk of repeating myself but i don't think it's i think it has to be said is you know praise people Praise them, you know, allow people the opportunity to fail. That's one of the things that I say, people, that when you sign a contract as an actor or a performer, in invisible ink, what you also sign is that you have the right to fail. Mm. And if you don't have that right, you cannot possibly succeed. And I always say that I'm really, really sorry that in your particular line of business, I can't give you that right. But while you are working with me, you have the right to fail. There is nobody who is any better than anybody else. It's how we do it. And one of the great sayings is um, Beckett, isn't it? Mm. Fail again, but fail better. We've talked to this a number of times, Tim, and In corporate speak or organizational speak, psychological safety is one of the terms that will often be used in this context of allowing people to be able to fail, as you say, or be able to experiment and not fear that that experiment doesn't work and then try something different. But that right to fail, I love that. I mean, that could be baked into a team charter. You know, we, the undersigned, have the right to fail. You can imagine it's just a constitutional (laughs) item. I think it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because one of the things that I would notice with teams is absolutely it's 
you know, we talked about curiosity and curiosity might manifest itself in the question that would come out from someone sat around a table. So why are we doing it like that? Or what might happen if we did this? And they don't say those questions. They don't speak up. They don't let a half formed idea go out there because they're worried that everything will get shot down. And I, I think that's another way it manifests itself is, yeah, you've got to say, I'm allowed well, to fail to, to, and I'm allowed to come up with a yeah. half-baked idea that's not fully thought through, please. <laughs> there used to be a terrible line that you'd hear in rehearsals when you were acting, which is when somebody comes up to you and says, you're not going to do it like that, are you? And you think, oh, <laughs> what a killer that one is. I thought I was really doing very well. Uh, and it was always said as a kind of joke. But uh, Tom Stoppard included it in the Shakespeare film. You're not going to do it like that. Um, <laughs> and it, it, there's a quote from uh, Charles H. Brower, and he used to be head of one of the big advertising firms in uh, over in New York City about sort of Mad Men era. And he says, a new idea is delicate. It can be killed by a sneer or a frown on the wrong person's brow. And I sort of think that that little comment there, like you said, you know, you're not going to do it that way, are you? It's only a little comment, but how powerful is that in the impact? It's an absolute killer, yeah. Mm. My question is then, I want to look through the lens of if we're thinking, I'm a senior executive at an organisation and thinking through the theatre lens, it might be that of the writer or it might be that of director, having seen great writers, great directors create this entity, the play, what's some lessons maybe a senior leader could take from that space, how to bring this piece together? Well, again, in the theatre, in the cinema, it's leave the people wanting more always leave people wanting to ask another question. I always think that, um, and I'm sorry I have to say this, but I think films now are far too long. And after 90 minutes, you think, oh, really? And I always advise people to always come in under time and always leave people wanting to ask another question. Well, we're just coming into a, a second and final rapid fire round now, Tim, and I'm going to kick things off with what's one thing you couldn't do with in your life at the moment? What's one done that, thing? I've done, <laughs> done that wrong. <laughs> I always get, that's why he what. This is why he wanted me to ask this question, Tim, because he knows I'll get it wrong. Because he gets <laughs> it wrong. I want to do at the moment is to get no. another cup of coffee. Is that? Is that <laughs> so, here's here's the question. Say it again. <laughs> what one thing couldn't you do with <laughs> without <laughs> no this is I'll, wrong I'll I'll one thing it. you couldn't do without in My your life god i'm working with amateurs <laughs> <laughs> we've pulled back the curtain and it ain't pretty <laughs> dear oh lord all right do you want me to ask Are you all right dear do you want to have a bit of a lie down <laughs> Oh, dear me. Right, so the question yeah. is, one thing you couldn't do without in your life at the moment? <laughs> oh, dear. I have to say it's really tedious and it, it makes me out to be really boring, but I couldn't actually do without a television set, especially what I, I, I now know, you know, how every single police force in every single country works. 
and I would be fine if I got arrested in Norway. I would know exactly what was going on. <laughs> right now, building on that, I oh, know John. You go. You go. What's your guilty pleasure at the moment? Um, yeah, I've thought about this, and, and again, I, I suppose I'm not being very flippant, but life is so really awful, awful for so many people, and it's not going to get any better. And I do think that when you look at what's going on in Ukraine with so much unhappiness, that actually the more, you know, I don't think one should be guilty necessarily in getting any kind of pleasure about anything, because it, as I say, things are pretty grim. So my, you know, take pleasure, get pleasure, feel the guilt afterwards. Get pleasure. So we are building the occupational philosopher's manigesto. What's the one bit of all your learning do you think that should be included? Well, I've already said it. I think it's Samuel Beckett, which is fail again, but fail better. That's perfect. Is there a book we should all be reading, Tim? Um, I would start off, I've just read it, and it is wonderful, and that is Billy Connolly's autobiography. It's a remarkable life, a remarkable story. It's not always happy, but it is, it's a triumph, really. And it will make you laugh. And what's, there's no better thing than to make us laugh. No, so there you go, Billy. Yeah. Okay. Now, our last question. Take yourself forward a number of years and you've uh, entered sort of the, the later stages of life and you're being introduced at your retirement home. You've, you've come in with the nurse and she says, uh, here's Tim. He's, what would you, how would you like to be introduced? Only here for a week. <laughs> <laughs> So, Tim, what are you up to next? Well, I'm going to be working with a company on team presentation skills. I'm here, and if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I hope they will. I hope they will, especially people who are really frightened. It's very difficult to getting hold of these people because, of course, we don't want to admit it. People don't want to admit they're shy, which is so silly because shyness is a good thing. If we were all like... Jeremy Paxman or Jeremy Clarkson or Piers Morgan, we'd never get on a bus. So shyness is good. I just hope that people, if they hear this, will get in touch with people who are shy and say, you know, get in touch with Tim. He's he's all right. You might learn right. something. You might not, of course, but you. I hope so they do. On that, Tim, where can we find you? Where can people connect with you, buy virtual drinks or a real drink? I'm one of the best-kept secrets in the world. I'm very, very bad. I've worked through recommendation. But John and I have been in touch through LinkedIn. LinkedIn is good. So I'm on LinkedIn. So please, please do get in touch. Tim, we're wrapping up. It's been an absolute pleasure. It really has. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been lovely to hear some of those stories from your varied career. And really nice to hear some of those insights that come into the world of work that our listeners are sort of a part of, the organisations they work in, how they can sort of distill some of those lessons and is, I think, uh, has been wonderful. I think the work you do is fantastic, helping people overcome that fear and, you know, be the best version of themselves. And not only does that change that person, that, that spreads, I think. So that joy and that, that enthusiasm, that confidence spreads as well. So look, kudos to you for the great work that you do and you know, en enabling people to be that best version of who they are as well. So yeah, it's been an absolute delight. Simon, thank you. John, thank you very much indeed. 
John, what a great guest. Weren't we lucky today to uh, have Tim join us? What a great storyteller. Yeah, some fantastic stories. And then just the whole piece about how he just works with people who, frankly, could be terrified and he understands how to sort of conquer that fear or help them conquer that fear. Yeah, again, goes to the heart of being creative, being curious, being imaginative. You've got to conquer the fear first, I think. And John, what were your takeouts then, as we always like to do a little quick summary? What were your aha moments? Well, my aha moments, uh, that I have three aha moments. Early on, Tim said around that overcoming fear that one of the lines that he would use is, I can because I think I can. And that, of course, is probably true of everything in life, isn't it? When it comes to sort yeah. of any doubts that we might have in any endeavor, I can because I think I can is a cracking start point. Then I thought the team's insights about recognizing that for the most of us, we're very rarely in individual pursuits. It's always a team effort. And as teams, we should be there for each other. Just like you talked about those teams in stage and film production, they are absolutely there 100% to support each other, allowing people opportunities to fail. And I love the idea that we might have a team charter that reads more like a constitution. <laughs> we, the undersigned, have a right to fail. Yeah, love it. Um, I think that's could be quite powerful stuff. So that was great. Again, it's that safety that you're allowing people to, to fail and praising people as well. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I Just a few which stood out. They one around nerves are good and nerves are separate to fear, which I think is a really nice distinction as well. And mm. I know whenever I speak, when I run a workshop, no nerves at all. When I speak on stage, massive nerves. But I think, yeah, no, nerves are good, so that's a good thing. Also, practice, practice, practice. Comes up time and time yeah. and time again. Yeah. There is no substitute for practice. Practice develops all the things which we speak about is practice being curious, yeah. practice creating, practice reimagining, and then also, uh, you know, help people find a platform to which they can perform. So we all have that different space, help people find that platform. So they're my three. So, John, that's us, hey? That was great. Enjoyed that. And what do we want people to do, Simon? Well, look, as always, check us out on our site, Occupational Philosophers. And look, if you're listening now and you're thinking we're near the end, I've got two minutes left, jump on, give us a rating. That'd be lovely. And a little uh, five stars is good and a not so snarky comment would be delightful. Something nice. Tell your friends. All the details for our socials and other pieces are on the website. You can also get in contact. As John sometimes says, fax us the question. So <laughs> the fact line is on the website or <laughs> occupationalphilosophy.gmail.com. Yeah. yeah, we've moved on from pigeons. Yes. <laughs> Facts now. And as always, John, as always. Stay curious, make stuff, play more, have fun, and date life. Now, John, I'm getting uh, I'm a little impressed by the quality of our, our guests, which are, uh, oh, no, I guess the people who are listening to the show and writing in, like Boris is three to four yeah. times, and yes, yeah, Scott first yeah. week so um, Scott, I know yes yeah, so uh, I know who would have thought Scott give us a rating to your friends yeah. they got a bit more time in their hands now so uh, yeah <laughs> maybe we should get him on as a guest why not time now <laughs> <laughs>